0: Open your Bible to the book of Isaiah, chapter 42. Isaiah, chapter 42. I said uh, last week, I want to say it again, welcome to our live stream group out there. There's still a crowd that's not able to get out and mingle much, and uh, and maybe maybe some of you out there that you're just, you don't know the Lord, you're not really ready to you know you need the Lord but you're not really ready to get into this church scene yet but you're brave enough to tune in uh, online and so we're we're glad that you're here and we just trust that this morning God can touch you and I know he's touching you that are here because I can tell it I can feel it amen if you've been touched already this morning say amen amen Amen. Amen. all right Isaiah chapter 42 trust you found it I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 and then we're going to pray today so behold my servant whom I uphold my chosen in whom my soul delights I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. This is this is the key verse right here, number three. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick, the King James says, a smoking flax, he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. And I want to preach this morning on this title, bruised but not broken. Bruised but not broken. Heavenly Father, we've we've prayed already as we've welcomed you into this place and and you've done just that. God, we, have, we felt your presence so close during the worship this morning, already maybe beginning a healing process in, in people's hearts just by being in your presence. And so day, today, God, is as I stand here uh, before this congregation of people, uh, an earthen vessel, just a man, not capable of changing anybody's life, but your word through this vessel with your anointing of the Holy Spirit can change people's lives. We just ask that today, I might step aside and you might speak the word exactly as you would have it spoken and that it might minister and accomplish its purpose. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Everybody shout amen. 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 Wasn't a shout, but I'll take it. Uh, Isaiah chapter 42. Okay. So um, bruised, but not broken in this let me kind of start out just a little bit and give you kind of the natural explanation of this and then we'll talk about the spiritual um, explanation of this. So first of all that third verse here he says uh, a bruised reed and this is kind of how God looks at us and and how God interacts with us throughout our life. It says that God ultimately God will not bruise uh, uh, excuse me a bruised reed he will not break And a fainting burnt burnt wick or a smoking flax, he will not quench. So let's look at the natural side of that for just a second. A reed, first of all, is kind of a long, hollow-stemmed piece of grass that grows alongside a riverbank, especially over uh, in in, um, the Middle East and around Israel where this was written. Uh, About 20 feet tall, these reeds would grow about 20 feet tall, just a great, big, hollow piece of grass. And they would use reeds... They would dry them out and they would use them for things like fishing poles, uh, musical instruments, pens, anything like that. Uh, my, my weapons, they, no, they probably, I, my, my guess is they probably used them for those blow dart guns. You know, I've, seen, I've always wanted one of those. I've wanted one for like up here if I see somebody nodding off. You know, so, uh, but anyway, um, they used them for all kinds of different things. And reeds, the thing about reeds, they were very, very useful, but they weren't very sturdy. Okay, they were weak, they were fairly easily broken. And so throughout the Old Testament, a reed actually kind of became a symbol of weakness. Uh, God, God referred to the Egyptian armies as a reed. And basically what he was getting at was the, the Israelites, rather than trusting God to fight their battles and protect them from their enemies, they were going to Egypt and hiring Egypt to protect them, okay? And so God refers to Egypt as them being a, a, a reed, a broken reed. But basically what he was saying is, why would you trust Egypt? They're weak. Okay, it became a symbol of weakness, something that was fairly easily broken. Remember, Jesus was talking about John the Baptist, and he said, what did you go out to see? Everybody was flocking to John the Baptist to see what he was all about, and he said, did you just go out to see a reed shaking in the wind? And Jesus said it wasn't just a reed shaking in the wind. Ultimately, what Jesus is saying is, you thought he was just some weak guy that would be easily broken, and Jesus said he was more than that. He was strong. And so, this symbol of weakness, and so it's a picture of us in that we're all like that reed. We're very useful to God, very useful in the kingdom of God, but we're weak. How many of you can honestly, with a show of hands, say, I've got a good intentions, but I'm a weak person. I find myself failing at times when I wish that I wouldn't. We're useful to God, but we're weak. And so the point of this, and we'll come back to this in just a minute from the spiritual application, is that God doesn't just snap off bruised reeds and just throw them away. He mends them. He heals them. He reuses them. Again, it kind of goes back, and they did, and they didn't know what I was going to be preaching about this morning. But it goes back to that song we were singing. That difference between how we view ourselves and how God views us. That at times we, it is, it's good that we view ourselves as weak. It's good that we understand that we don't have any strength in and of ourselves. But it's it's important for us to understand that through Him, I can do all things. Amen. That my strength is not in myself, but when I am when I am weak, the Bible says I am strong. See, sounds like an oxymoron. It sounds like a contradiction. When I am weak, I am strong. That doesn't make any sense, but it does in a spiritual sense. When I physically am weak and I physically fail, spiritually, God gives me strength to do what I need to do. So he said he won't break a bruised reed, a reed that has been injured. God's not gonna just snap it off and cast it away as useless. He's gonna use it. He's gonna mend it. God's not going to quench a smoking flax. You know, so let's talk about what flax is. Flax was a... A plant that grew about three feet tall and they would pick it and then they would place it in water and let it soak and as it soaked in water uh the fibers would begin to separate from the rest of the stem okay there were fibers woven in through there and then they would take those fibers out of the water and they would lay them out in the open sun most most of the time on a rooftop lay them out on the rooftop to dry and then, once those fibers had dried, then they'd come along and they would weave them together to make linens and cloths and clothing. But more specifically, they would use those those stems to make wicks. And maybe you lost power uh, over the past uh, past couple weeks. A lot of us lost power i don 't know about you. we keep a little keros- We keep a couple of kerosene lanterns um, in the house so that when the power goes off, you know, we can have a little bit of light. And it's always fun. Our, our family, we, we love it when the power goes off for a couple hours, right? I mean, you know, just for a couple hours, it's like, oh, we get to get out the lamps. We get the lamps and we get the oil in there. We turn it, we light the wicks and it creates, and then we sit around the table and we play games under the uh, the light of uh, of the lamp. And so, of course, come come bedtime when you've got to go to the bathroom and you got to brush your teeth and all that, by then we're sick of it. We're ready for the power to come back on, but we make the best of it. But those wicks, they fiber, weave those fibers and make a wick. And so they would, you know how the lamp works. You fill the lamp up with oil, put the wick down in it, and, and the wick soaks up the oil. So ultimately, when you light the wick, what is it that's actually burning? Is it the wick or is it the oil? It's, it's the oil burning in the wick, right? That's what they would use to make these. So he's saying, God's not going to just put out and cast aside a smoking flax. In other words, a wick that's really not burning as brightly as it was, or burning as brightly as it could, Jesus, referring to all of us as his people, said, we are the light of the world, right? We're, he said, no, we're, we're supposed to be like that candle or that lamp that is set on a table in a dark room to give light to everybody that's there. That's our calling, is to be the light of the world. And sometimes we get weary, and our light just don't shine as bright as it should. Can anybody testify to that? Of course, as a pastor, I never experienced things like that. Now, I probably experience them more than anybody. Sometimes our oil has a tendency to run low. And you, and lots of times throughout Scripture, uh, the Bible refers to the Holy Spirit. as uses the, the oil as a representation of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we just run a little bit dry. It's not that we've just completely forsaken and turned against God, but our light has turned to more of a smolder. And so God can look at us when we're maybe not operating at full capacity maybe when we're kind of falling short and our weaknesses are are showing through god could look at us and say well they're not burning they're not they're they're failing me they're not burning as brightly as they could i'm just going to snap that wick out of there and put in a new one god doesn't operate like that god says what i'm going to do is i'm going to refill the oil amen i'm going to give a fresh dose of oil a fresh anointing of the holy spirit See, when you got saved, what happened was the Holy Spirit come to live inside of you. Amen? God emptied us of the sin, the destruction, the destruction that sin brought in our life. And he, he placed, he filled us with his spirit. And it's not that that ever just leaks out and we're without the spirit. But sometimes we, we lose sight. Sometimes we just get dry. Sometimes we get so we can be in the middle of ministry, in the middle of doing what God wants us to do and be doing it for the wrong reasons sometimes. Our, our oil's running low, and what we need is not necessarily to work harder. What we need is to just to go before God and say, God, just refill me with your spirit. Give me a fresh anointing. Get, get that wick burning again. You know, whenever, when, when you got we like to sit around the fire pit. We got a fire pit there in the yard, and we like to get a fire going. And sometimes it, it kind of starts to die down, and you put some new kindling on it, and, and it just Smokes. It's just smoking and smoking and smoking. And in order to get that flame back, you get down there close and you blow on it. You blow on those coals. They're just smoking. It's not a flame, but it's still hot. There's still something there. Don't feel all washed up this morning. You've got God living inside of you. Maybe you're not as fired up as you used to be, but those coals are still hot inside of you. And God, he gets down there, and by his spirit in a a, a worship service like this or at times when you get quiet before him and you open his word, and God gets down there and he blows his breath, his spirit, he blows on those coals to reignite that flame. He gives a renewed passion. I said, I'm not gonna just... Quench and put out a smoking flax. If there's some coals there, I'm going to breathe on them. I'm going to get them going again. Hallelujah. This scripture just simply gives us a picture of how God views our weaknesses and our failures. I want you to understand. I, I don't, we shouldn't ever feel good about failing. We should never feel good about sinning against God. That's not the point that I'm making. But I want us to understand here today that Jesus is not in the breaking business. He's in the mending business right? Lots of places in scripture, obviously we read about the wrath of God and he, he is a God of wrath and he pours his wrath out. He will pour his wrath out on sin. But, but what I read throughout scripture is that the grace of God is mightier than even the wrath of God. The wrath of God is constantly held back by the grace of God. What that tells me is God is not looking and wanting an opportunity to pour his wrath out of me. God would rather give me grace. He would rather give you grace. Have you failed? Maybe, maybe you failed. Okay. I'm not making an excuse for that. Neither is God, but he's not here to just cast you out and, and, and douse your flame and break you off. Just because you're bruised don't mean that you don't hold value in the eyes of God anymore. His grace is greater. That's what the cross is all about. Jesus hanging on that cross is literally God's way of holding back his own wrath through his mercy. Hallelujah. No amount of sin will cause God to stop loving you. No amount of your sin, no amount of your failure. Again, I'm not making excuses for sins for us to sin. Not at all. But what Satan does is he sweeps in when we fall short, when we're weak and we sin, and Satan creeps in and speaks this lie that, oh, you've done it now. That one, that one, oh, I know God forgave you yesterday, but that one, that was going too far. You've, you, you've asked, or, or you've asked forgiveness for that sin before. He's probably tired of hearing it. There is no amount of sin that will cause God to stop loving you. None. And to give up on you. Now, the laws of reaping and sowing still apply, right? We reap what we sow, and sometimes those sins that we commit when we live in rebellion sometimes can bring about some negative circumstances in our life. Sometimes it can hurt people that that we love. So there's effects. It's not, again, it's not that God is just making excuse for our sin, but understand that it does not cause him to stop loving you. Hallelujah. You heard me preach this. It's probably been a couple months ago. Who knows now, all my days and nights are mixed up, right? My days of the week are mixed up. But that which God desperately hates lives inside of that which God desperately loves, right? God does hate our sin, he really does hate our sin. But golly, he sure desperately loves us. And therefore, he holds back his wrath against our sin because he loves us. That ought to bring all of us an element of comfort I and mean, we see it time and time and time again throughout scripture. And I, I, could, I could stand up here for two hours and preach a message on, on, on the times, even just in the life, of, in the, the ministry of Jesus, where he could have very easily poured out his wrath because it was warranted, it was justified, but he held back his wrath because of his grace, broken people. That, pe- that man, the other people, would, would, would rather break them. Remember the, uh, the, the woman caught in the act of adultery I'm sure she had a name, but we don't know what that name is. You know why? People remember her as the woman who committed adultery. People remember our sin. She had a name. She had a soul that God cared for, but all we know her by is the woman who committed the act of adultery. And as she was caught, and these men, religious men, Brings her to Jesus, and they say the law. And the whole thing is just a trap to try to trick Jesus. The law says that a woman and a man too, by the way, but they didn't bring the man in; they just brought the woman. The law says that a woman who's caught in adultery is to be stoned to death, and that's what the law said, the law of Moses. She's supposed to be stoned to death. So what do you say, Jesus? And this whole, this whole thing it's like, we got him, we got him. If if he says yes, she's supposed to be stoned. Stoner. I, she needs to be dead because of what she's done. Break that bruised reed. Put out that smoking flax. Kill her. Then all this talk of mercy he's been running around talking about, well, then he's just a bunch of smoke. He's not really a, all about mercy like he says he is. So that we've got him if he says, yes, kill her. But then if he says, oh, no, let her go, well, now he's easy on sin. We know how God feels about sin, and now he's justifying. Now, if, he's, if he says, no, don't stone her, then he's saying that adultery is okay. We got him either way. And Jesus just, he kind of kneels down on his knee and he just starts writing in the dirt. he says, whichever one of you guys don't have any sin, you go ahead and cast the first stone. What he's saying, ultimately, yeah, she sinned. And yes, the law does say that she's supposed to be stoned. There was only one person on the property that was worthy to stone her. You know who that was? Jesus. Only one person in that whole setting that had lived without, that had ever that lived without sin. Everybody else there had sinned. He was the only one worthy to cast stones, yet is the only one that was willing to give mercy. Think about that. Man said, break Jesus said, no, I'd rather, I'd rather heal her. I don't break bruised reeds. Goes on and on. Woman, uh the woman at the well, Zacchaeus, the people that men hated, but Jesus said, I see value there. I'm not gonna break, I'm gonna use him. Mary Magdalene, the, uh, the demonic man that we read about, the, the demonic man in the Gadarenes, the Bible says the people had tried to chain him he was so consumed by demonic power, they tried to chain him, and he just, he broke break the chains. And Jesus comes on, anybody, any person that would, come on, you see this man up here just wailing and crying and cutting himself with rocks and foaming at the mouth and his eyes all wild and his hair all every which direction. He's just a wild man, demon-possessed, up living in the tomb, living in the cemetery. Most people would say, that guy's a hopeless cause. He is bruised beyond repair, Can I encourage you this morning to understand that not a human being who has ever lived is bruised beyond repair, no matter what you've done, no matter how low you've sunk. Jesus said, I can heal a a bruised reed. And Jesus walks into the cemetery and just simply casts the demons out of him. One one record of this in one of the gospels, I think he just simply says, go. (laughs) He simply says, go, speaking to the demons, go. And they, they went, and this man, the Bible says now, is, is in his right, he's clothed, he's in his right mind, and he's delivered, he can see things clearly now, and all he wants to do is be with Jesus. All he wants to do is be with Jesus. And that ought to be the desire of all of us. I mean, he'd been, his vessel had just been filled with oil. And he knew that Jesus was the source of that, and he just wanted to be with Jesus. And Jesus said, well, I appreciate that. But I don't want you, you can't come and follow me because I have something I want you to do. I have a job for you. I need you to be a light, right? I I need you to go home and tell everybody what I've done for you. (laughs) So you can imagine the testimony of this guy. I imagine he drew a crowd everywhere he went. He goes home, he goes down the street when most people would have been like, ah, it's the demon-possessed man. He's got a different look about him now. He's got a glow about him now. You can see in his eyes he's there. And he just, he to strike up a conversation at W with somebody. He comes across. He's pushing his cart. And the guy says, Whoa, I ain't seen you in years. And what happened? I could, something different. I came in contact with Jesus. I was bruised. I was bruised. I was smoking, but Jesus coming along. And rather than breaking a bruised reed, he healed me. He filled me with oil. And this, this glow you see is from the light that Christ has brought within my heart. Shoo. Anybody feel that? man?" Amen. There's, and the gospel is still doing that today. You know, and the difference, you don't have to be demon-possessed and then delivered for people to see the difference in you, right? And we read these examples of people who we feel like, oh, they're worse off than we are, and there's obviously, there's no such thing. We're all broken. We're all bruised, right? But these These accounts of Jesus coming in and changing the people's lives when he could have very easily snuffed them out is proof to us that it really doesn't matter how low we get, how much we sin, God's love is still there for us, still willing to deliver us. Amen. I want to talk about one man specifically here, real quick. As I kind of start shifting towards a closing. You notice I didn't commit to closing, I'm just shifting towards a closing. Uh, and you can turn it if you want to, if you don't, that's fine. It'll, words will be on the screen. But in, in Luke chapter 22, you know, Jesus is preparing his disciples for the fact that he's about to be crucified. He's about to be dragged away from them by a hostile mob and led to the cross to die. And the, the disciples are not receiving this word very well. And probably the worst news of all that they were getting was this. You all are going to forsake me. So not only am I going to be killed, but you're going to deny that you even knew me. And, G- and Peter comes to, to Jesus. This is verse 31. Uh, well, first of all, Peter had come to, to, to Jesus and said, I, I'm, I'm never going to deny you. I will, I will die for you if I have to. I will not deny you. And Jesus said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. I always find it interesting that Jesus didn't say, I I pray for you that you won't fail. There's a big difference, right? There's a huge difference in I'm praying for you that you won't fail and I'm praying for you that your faith will not fail. There's a big difference. Jesus didn't pray for Peter that he wouldn't deny him. He knew he was going to. He knows that you and I are going to sin. That we're going to fail at times. He knows that. So what he's praying is that our faith will not fail. Faith in what? Faith in God's grace. Faith in God's restoring ability. I'm praying that even when you fail, your faith in God won't. That's an important lesson for all of us as reads. He says, I'm praying that your faith will not fail. And when you have turned again, in other words, I know you're going to fail, but I also know I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to restore you strengthen your brothers give that same testimony help others who are weak and failing Peter said I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death and Jesus of course we know the rest of the story Peter said or Jesus said Peter you will deny me three times before the rooster crows in the morning in one night you're gonna deny me not once not twice but three times first time something happens I just caught up in the moment I'm just uh, you know we I wasn't thinking second time it's like ooh, uh, I've kind of let my guard down third time you just basically you did it on purpose right he, he denied jesus to save his tail three times in one night before the rooster crows and then on down around verse number 61 i believe it is after peter had denied jesus that third time and he heard the most horrible sound he had ever heard in his life right and if you had one of those on your property i figure that is the worst sound in the, in the world When he heard that rooster crow, everything he remembered instantly. His mind went back to the moment. Jesus said, by the time the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. And as soon as he heard the rooster crow, it was just, he he remembered, I did. I literally did. And he looks over, because he's within eyeshot of Jesus. Now look at this. Verse 61, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Conviction hit Peter like a brick. That horrible, excruciating, glorious conviction. right? Conviction, That's that's whenever you realize that you've sinned against God. You realize you've done something wrong and you feel bad for it. It's not condemnation and look what you done, now you deserve punishment. It's conviction in that you've sinned, okay, but now let's deal with it, let's get it fixed. So instantly, conviction hits Peter's heart as he remembers how he sinned against Jesus and he goes out and he weeps bitterly. By definition, wouldn't you think at that moment he was a bruised reed? Useful, still useful to the kingdom of God, but realizing in that moment that he's weak, that he needed more than what he had. Just a nonchalant common belief in Jesus. A lot of people have that. That nice generic belief in Jesus is enough to get you out of your bed and into church on Sunday morning. But Peter knew I need more than that, I need the oil. I need the Spirit of God directing my words, directing my thoughts, directing my decision. And I love the scripture. Remember, now keep this in order. Peter goes out and he weeps bitterly. I can see him curled up on a step just crying and weeping, banging his fist. How could I do that? Not once, not twice, three times. How could I have done that? Have Have you ever done that? Satan is like, why did I do that? How could I? And he's just agonizing over the fact that he had sinned against Jesus. Bruised, smoking, feeling like, well, at this point, well, that's it for me. That's it for me. There ain't no way God's going gonna... to. If I'm lucky enough for him to barely forgive me, he's never going to use me again. And I love this. In, in Mark chapter 7, or uh, 15, 16, verse 7, after Jesus has risen from the dead, and the ladies go to the tomb to anoint his body. And when they get there, the, ro- the stone is rolled away. Jesus is gone, but there's an angel there. And the angel gives these ladies a specific message, message. He said, I want you, and I quote, go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. Jesus is wanting to rendezvous. He's risen from the dead. Now he's wanting to rendezvous with his disciples. Go tell his disciples and Peter. Was Peter a disciple? Why didn't the angel just say, go tell my disciples to meet me in Galilee? He specifically says, go tell my disciples and Peter to meet me in Galilee. Do you know why? I'm convinced. The reason why the angel specifically mentioned Peter separate from the disciples was because I could almost see Peter and the disciples gathered. As as the ladies come in and say, We've seen him, he's alive again, he's risen, we've seen him, and he has told, he told us to tell his disciples, you guys, to go and meet him in Galilee. You know, I would almost guarantee what Peter would think. Probably the same thing I would think. He don't mean me. He don't want me to come. I failed him. I boldly denied him three times in a row within a six or seven-hour period. He don't mean me. You guys go ahead because I know he don't want to see my face. I'm bruised. Jesus, through this angel, specifically says, "Peter, I want to see you too. I've got I got just as much grace for you today as I had before. My calling on your life has not changed just because you failed me. The calling of God is without repentance." Meaning God never, withhold, never, never withholds it. You're, you're calling to salvation your soul. There's, there's never a point when God withdraws and just doesn't care anymore. Your disciples and Peter. So I know when Peter hears this message, and they say, Peter, he specifically said he wanted you to be there too. It was a message. It was Well, maybe there is. Maybe there is a hope. Maybe he does still love me. Maybe he's not angry with me. Jesus said, hey, I don't break break bruised reeds. I heal them. I keep using them. I don't don't just snuff out smoking wicks. I put some more oil in there and I I breathe my breath on them. I get them going again. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost is is Peter, there in the upper room and he's he's just praying, he's just seeking God and God sends his spirit to to fill the believers and he ignites that flame again. Amen? Now in... Later on, I'm not going to read there, but you can read in John 21. Later on, Jesus, when he meets with his disciples, they're all out in a boat, and they're fishing. And Jesus comes walking on the shore. This is, again, this, Peter has not seen Jesus yet. He knows that Jesus wants to see him because of what the angel said, but he's not seen him face to face yet since the denial. And so he's on his boat, he's fishing, and somebody says, Hey, that's Jesus, he's on the shore. Peter jumped in the water. He grabs his coat and he jumps in the water. I, to me, when I read that, there's there's still this feeling in him. I can't face him. I just I just can't stand the thought of facing him. I knowing him, knowing what I've done and denying him. Is he really okay? Is he really not mad? And then they all get on the shore. Jesus fixes dinner there. He cooks the fish and fried taters and hush puppies and deer meat, I don't know. He fixes some dinner, and and as they're all sitting around eating, picking their teeth, and Jesus goes over to to Peter so lovingly, Jesus looks at Peter in the eye, and he says, Peter, you love me. He didn't say, Peter, dude, I told you, I knew you were going to deny me. You were all cocky and everything. Nope. Jesus never brought it up. He said, do you love me, Peter? I'm going to see Peter with his head probably still can't even look him in the eye yet. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to continue doing the work that I called you to do. Second time, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Third time, I don't know, maybe Peter's eyes come up just a little each time. I don't know. Third time, Peter, I want your undivided attention do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, I do. And he did. He wasn't putting on a show. Someone would say, well, you must not love Jesus if you sin like that. That, That's not always the case. I wish to goodness that we as Christians, people who love Jesus, would not sin anymore. I wish it was like that. I hate sinning against God, don't you? Yeah, you sin, but... Jesus is saying, I know that doesn't mean that you don't love me anymore. I understand that. And so I'm not breaking you as a bruised reader. I, I'm healing you, I'm mending you. Go out and feed my sheep. Do the work that I've called you. Forget about it. It was, it was Jesus' way of telling Peter, look, it's in the past. Forget about it. And now how they do that in Chicago or something? Forget about it. Oh, that's a horrible accent. But anyway, forget about it. It's over. It's over. Let's move forward. If there's one thing we gather from the pages of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is that God is all about moving forward, not backward. Who cares what yesterday was? Who cares how you failed yesterday? Learn from it, but don't believe the lie that God doesn't forgive you. Now that I'm closer to this ending, let me read this for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul says, starting off, that chapter he says therefore having this ministry by the mercy of god we do not lose heart okay and you go on down into verse 7 he says this but we have this treasure and the treasure he's talking about is the light of the gospel okay the spirit of god the 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 light of the gospel the knowledge of the glory of god in jesus christ the spirit of god that abides within us and the knowledge of jesus through salvation we have that treasure because that is a treasure if you have $20 Twenty million dollars in the bank—that's worthless compared to salvation. It's backwards from what, the way we think as humans, but ultimately, God says, "Look, your salvation, my present, your knowledge of the gospel is more valuable. It's more of a treasure than all the money in the world." We have this treasure. In the ESV, says in jars of clay. King James says in earthen vessels. That's what an earthen vessel is—it's a jar made out of clay. A Clay jar is pretty weak, right? Wouldn't take much to break a clay jar. Tina breaks them over my head all the time. She gets mad. <laughs> Not really. A jar, a, jar, a jar of clay breaks, so he's so weak vessel. So this valuable treasure, the gospel, the light of God, inside something that's weak, inside something that's susceptible to be broken, that's us, susceptible to failure, Paul says, look, we're not perfect just because we're Christians doesn't mean we're perfect. We have this treasure in earth and broken, marred, weak vessels to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. That way, if I preach and somebody gets saved, then God gets the glory. It wasn't because I had some sort of amazing speaking ability. I don't. It's because the Spirit of God dealt with their heart and saved them. God says, I get all the glory by using weak vessels, right? But I love this. This sums it all up. Paul says... We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed. In other words, this situation stinks, or I've failed and I'm really bummed about it, but we're not driven to despair. You know what despair is? Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Despair is like there's no hope. It's over, no hope. And He said, he said we're perplexed and we're, we're afflicted, but we're not driven to despair. We still have hope. What'd you do? Doesn't matter. There's still hope of forgiveness and cleansing in Christ Jesus. He said, we're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body of the death, excuse me, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. He said, yeah, it's it's basically, it's Paul's way of saying we're bruised, but we're not broken. We're smoking, but we're we're not extinguished. We're living, we're failing, we're struggling, but we're still, we still have victory through Jesus. We've taken, only saying, you know, basically, we've taken some major wind, right, and we've sustained a little bit of damage, but in the end, we're still standing. We're still here, we're still standing. You know, we've faced a pretty big storm here, was it last week, week before last? Week before last, and a lot of trees went down, right? And for the most, case, for the most part, I was talking to, to John Orvick, he had a lot of cherry trees down. Most of the trees that went down on his farm were cherry trees. And I said, I wonder why that is. And he said, well, they don't have much of a root system. Their roots just don't go as deep. And there's a lot of trees that went down out there, but there's a lot of them still standing, right? All those trees that are still standing, they say the same thing. Man, we, we faced the winds. We took some damage. I lost a limb or two, but I'm... I'm still standing. That's what Paul says. Man, I've I've failed, I've come short, taken some damage, but in the end of the day, at the end of the day, I'm still standing for Jesus. And I know he's standing for me, and that's what really matters. But quite frankly, we can't stand for Jesus if, unless he's standing for us. I mean, we may take a punch in the gut. We might have the wind knocked out of us at times, but it doesn't mean we've lost the fight. Okay? We're still in this fight. And Satan's coming at us, coming at us constantly with a one and a two and a hook and a jab. We take a punch in the gut every now and again, but we're not defeated. And that's important for us to understand and remember that. God gives us an armor to protect ourselves against these attacks and these punches. In ephesians I'm not going to read it, but Ephesians chapter 6 talks about the armor of God. It says, God, to put on the whole armor of God that you may withstand the devil in that time. He goes on to say things like... Um, to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, to stand firm, stand in the truth. In other words, like whenever you've done all you can do to stand, you feel like you can't stand any longer, you know what you do? You, you keep standing. You, you, yeah, you take the punch in the gut, but you keep standing. You keep trusting Jesus. You fail, but you understand His grace is greater than your sin. I love that old song. Grace that is greater than all, how many of my sins? All my sin. He said, You stand in the way that you stand, the way a bruised reed is what guards us against the breaking, the bruising, the breaking. He said, You stand in truth, the loins girt about with truth, righteousness, breastplate of righteousness, gospel of the peace, in faith. We stand in faith. We stand in our salvation. We stand in the Word of God. And He said, We pray in the Spirit. That's what protects us against breaking. Amen. Isaiah, I think I read this verse last week, but in Isaiah 53 and 5, talking about the ministry of Jesus, it says that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Jesus took physical bruising at the cross and at the whipping post in order to deliver us and heal us from our spiritual bruising. The entire human race could have been snapped off by God. I mean God could have said, These people are just worthless. I, I tell them to do this and they do that. I just forget it. And with a breath, God could have wiped out the entirety of mankind. But God says, I don't I don't break bruised reeds. I mend them. I heal them. So I'm gonna send my son to die in their place and to, to be bruised on their behalf. Amen. I'm gonna leave you with a story, and I wish to goodness I, I uh I knew the whole story. Brother Stage told me this a long time ago, and I just remember little bits and pieces of it, so I just want to share with you the little bits and pieces that I remember. It's a, it's a kind of a story about the old ship of Zion, which is a representation of the church, us, you and I as Christians. And It says something like, the old sh- ship of Zion, st- sailing on the stormy sea of life, faces many damaging winds. At times, it takes, takes on water as waves crash into its side. Many cloud-filled skies... Leave it lost without direction, as the sun and the stars were hidden from sight. And one day, when the old ship of Zion comes pulling into that final port, she'll be tattered, she'll be battered, she'll be bruised, but she'll be there. <laughs> I love that. This picture of us as God's people—we go through life, and there's times we feel lost, and there's times we don't feel like we can see God, and there's times that we fail. At the end of our life, we stay faithful to Jesus. In the end, we come into that port called heaven, that final docking place. When this life is over, we may be a little battered, we may be a little bruised, but thank God we're going to be there. Amen? Through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I don't know. I hope that this helps. I've really prayed diligently um, as I prepared for this message, uh, this sermon, I really prayed that it wouldn't just be a sermon. So easily, a sermon can become a sermon, and and it's we can leave and say, well, that was good, that was really good, and it ministers to you. But I, my prayer is that this is a lifeline for somebody, that this will really, truly encourage your heart today. I don't know, you know, I don't know where you're at personally. Nobody can. Just you do. And where you're at in regards to failure. Maybe you failed openly and people know it. Everybody knows. Maybe you've just, it's a secret thing. Something you're struggling with. Doubts or unbelief or lust or, or, you know, you name it. There's a whole world of things. And you're struggling with this idea maybe that God is mad at you and you're kind of on your last leg, you're on borrowed time, and I just want you to understand this morning, there is no bottom to this thing. There is no limit to the love and the mercy that God has for you. Not for me as a pastor, not not just for me because I'm up here preaching to you, for you as an individual, from the youngest one in this room to the oldest, for the one that for the most part has got life right and you've not really, to the one who has just really messed it all up. There is no bottom to the grace of God. (laughs) I'm just going to ask you this morning just to bow and listen as they sing this song this morning. I really, really would like everybody to just spend a little time talking one-on-one to God. Wherever you're at in Him, if you've never been saved, I want you to start just simply by saying, Lord Jesus... I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I have failed you. Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. I'm asking you to save me. Maybe you've been saved, but you've drifted away a little bit. Maybe you've you've fallen short somewhere along the way. I don't know what that's different for everybody. You don't have to tell me what it is. Oh, God knows. And just be honest with God. That's all this is about, is every individual being honest with God. God, you see it, here it is. And I'm sorry for the ways that i failed you. Lord, I resemble that smoking flax. Lord, I am bruised. Maybe it's not because of your sin. Maybe you've been hurt by somebody. Maybe fear has gripped your heart with all that we see in the world. I mean, you name it. You you can really look at yourself and define yourself as bruised. But maybe today there's hope in realizing that God loves you just as much as he always has. And God will heal you. So just spend a little time this morning as they sing. Just talk to God.